I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. On October 5th, 2018, President Donald Trump signed the Disaster Recovery Reform Act of 2018, the DRRA, into law as part of the Federal Aviation Administration Reauthorization Act of 2018. FEMA worked closely with Congress over the past year as they considered and ultimately passed this important reform to federal disaster programs. These reforms acknowledge the shared responsibility of disaster response and recovery, aim to reduce the complexities of FEMA, and build the nation's capacity for the next catastrophic event. Administrator Brock Long often speaks about this legislation as being nothing short of a game changer in emergency management, and for good reason. On this episode, we caught up with Jesse Nalepa, director of FEMA's Office of External Affairs, for a conversation about what's included in this landmark legislation. Jesse, Administrator Brock Long talks a lot about how this piece of legislation, the Disaster Recovery Reform Act of 2018, is a game-changing piece of legislation. He talks about the tremendous impact that this legislation will have on emergency management for years to come. Um, Where does he get that? Where, Where is he coming from when he talks about that? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. I think this is uh, something that's super critical for the agency to highlight. Uh, First of all, I think it was the great partnership that we had with Congress, bipartisan partnership that we had with Congress to actually get this legislation through. I think the economic disruption and the cost of disasters is on the rise nationwide. And I think the committees on the Hill and staff that we work with on a regular basis um, really came together to say, what does FEMA need uh, to prevent, uh, number one, the cost, but then also make it easier for disaster survivors to recover? Um, So we worked with Congress for over a year um, on this legislation, and it was really a consistent uh, coordination and communication with them pretty much on a daily basis about certain provisions in the bill. Ultimately, they passed the bill and important reforms uh, to the federal disaster programs, which will not only touch uh, state, local, tribal, territorial governments in the way that they recover from disasters, um, but also the individual citizens, which I think it's really critical. There are so many pieces of this legislation that change a number of our programs and, and other federal programs. And we're going to talk about a few of those. But before we do, um, you touched on this a second ago, but what is that process like of identifying issues that the maybe the agency has or the department is looking at uh, in the way that we touch disaster survivors and we work with communities? How do you then approach Congress and, and work towards changes? Yeah, um, so that's a really good question. Uh, so I think one of the things uh, we often do is the Hill staff approach us, but they really look for um, – ideas that would have positive programmatic impact on the agency. And what I mean by that is they come to us with ideas and we have the opportunity to weigh in uh, through comments um, on legislative text that they provide us or help them actually craft legislative text uh, to meet their intent uh, so as to produce something that the agency is kind of helping them create. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, we also work with the administration to ensure that's in line with the administration's priorities. But by and large, uh, Congress will come to us and ask for our our comments and we provide them uh, and en- engage in a meaningful dialogue. Uh, it takes 
sometimes months and months to get there. Um, and I think in this case, it took over a year. So it really is a tug and pull, balancing a lot of priorities. Um, but at the end of the day, I think both of our intent was to make it easier for disaster survivors. And I think this legislation does just that. But I will add, um, you know, some of the provisions in the bill, um, one of the administrator's stated priorities is reducing the complexity of FEMA. Um, some of the processes, just by nature of federal government bureaucracy, make it a little bit more difficult um, to access uh, FEMA programs and to actually execute those. Um, so with the rewards also come, you know, some challenges the agency will definitely have to overcome. We often forget that members of Congress represent people and often those people were affected by disasters and have gone through the FEMA process and, and work with federal agencies to, to try to work towards recovery. Um, so when you're working with Congress, how many of them are sometimes bringing their own ideas or things that they've heard from survivors about ways that um, the programs need to change? Does that influence the development of the legislation? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So actually FEMA, interestingly enough, is probably one of the federal agencies that probably impacts members in their districts the most. Uh, it's really a way for them to reach out and touch their constituents uh, through the disaster recovery um, and response process. Uh, really, individuals are impacted probably the greatest uh, in communities. And so helping them recover from those and then reaching out to their congressmen to help them do that is one way that they can actually engage on a very meaningful level. Um, having been a chief of staff for a member of Congress from Texas previously, um, I realized this in 2016 when our district was impacted by severe flooding. Um, individual assistance and helping people um, get the assistance they need in recovering from disasters uh, through what we call in the Hill the casework process. You can actually write your congressman, tell them the issues you might be having with the federal agency, and they can help you navigate those. And so we deal with that a lot here um, in FEMA. And, um, you know, that's another way that we partner with Congress in recovering from disasters. So we should say that this this piece of legislation that affects FEMA is really part of a larger piece of legislation, which is the Federal Aviation Administration um, Reauthorization Act, right? So how does FEMA work with Congress to identify a vehicle that can help kind of move this uh, the, these changes forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think that we see now and uh, the American people can kind of see is the gridlock in Washington and moving bills on a regular basis is difficult. So you have to find uh, legislation that must move, whether it be for an appropriation deadline or a reauthorization deadline for a specific program. Um, and that just happened to be the one uh, that Congress felt as if it was going to move. And after the 2017 uh, season that we saw, whether it be hurricanes or California wildfires, and given the fact that we were in the middle of actually the 2018 hurricane season, and people were really starting to see the impacts of increasing disasters um, from that season as well. I think it really spurred the momentum for this to get, get across the finish line. I think one of the things we have heard from Congress is they felt um, it's not done. Emergency management reform is not done. I was sitting on a panel a couple of weeks ago with some of the uh, colleagues I had been working with on the Hill for a couple of years on this, and um, you know this is the first step they see in a larger process, but it is a critical step, and it starts to change the conversation. One of the concerns that I'm sure members of Congress hear is um, regarding the nature of the cost of disasters and how expensive some of these disasters can be, not just for the survivors, but also for the states that are managing the uh, influx of grant money to help the communities recover. And so this piece of legislation actually helps address some of those. So let's get into some of the each piece, uh, not all of the pieces, but some of the, the key pieces that change our programs. And the first one is on management costs. 
Yeah, so I think one of the things that the administrator talks about over and over again, um, a large portion of the events that we respond to uh, really are $41 million and under. Um, and those are disasters that are very important to every local community, um, but really the Federal Emergency Management Agency needs to be focused, um, in his opinion, on larger disasters and recovering um, you know, from these catastrophic events. Uh, still providing uh, the funding uh, to some of these smaller disasters that are still major disasters, um, but really not the staffing and expertise that comes with that whenever FEMA declares or the uh, administration declares a major disaster. Um, so really what this helps do is help the local government uh, or state government take responsibility for their own recovery. Uh, so offering them more uh, incentives through monetary incentives um, for them to be able to hire the people that are skilled and trained um, in disaster response and recovery and also uh, disaster cost recovery, uh, making sure that they know what tools are available to them, whether it be at the federal, state, or local level, um, to help those citizens recover. So um, this almost doubles um, the uh, assistance that we're providing to states, monetary assistance uh, that we're providing to the states through management costs, um, and really makes it a lot easier for them to get reimbursed for the time, money, and efforts that uh, people they bring in to help recover um, need. So when we talk about recovering from disasters, or I mean, sorry, when we talk about being resilient or uh, creating a more resilient emergency management um, uh, enterprise throughout the nation and the states and, and locals, this is really going to allow them to hire more um, seasoned professionals, keep them on staff, and then be able to work disasters over and over again. Absolutely. Um, and uh, train the skills and expertise uh, at the state and local level. Um, and really what it does, too, I think it, it builds out the, um, you know, the whole community approach that the administrator is trying to uh, promote within emergency management. Uh, it really takes everyone from the state, local, tribal, territorial level um, to make an effective response and recovery from disasters. And I think this uh, promotes that even more um, by having uh, states and locals uh, and tribes and territories have more of a stake in their recovery efforts. So in terms of this legislation being a game changer, one of the one of the um, one of the sections of the bill that seems the most ripe for that kind of a, of a qualifier is the changes to the pre-disaster mitigation program. And that is is certainly a major change. So talk talk specifically what this piece of legislation allows for. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that the administrator has said since day one of uh, probably even before he came into this agency uh, was that mitigating before a disaster um, reduces disaster recovery costs uh, for the sheer nature of building back uh, in a more resilient manner after a disaster or mitigating prior um, really cuts down on uh, funds that are going to need to be uh, need to recover on the back end. So what this does, it takes 6% of all public assistance dollars that FEMA gives out on an annual basis, um, and it moves that um, from our appropriations to a separate pot, um, which will be known as the Pre-Disaster Mitigation Grant Program, um, which will set aside, uh, again, the 6%, uh, which if you take the billions of dollars that we handed out in 2017 um, from the Harvey, Irma, Maria, and California wildfires disasters alone, um, that would be over a billion dollars. Um, right now, we're looking uh, in the 
millions of dollars range uh, for pre-disaster grant money. Um, and it's a competitive grant program. So every state can apply if they've had an active disaster in that year. Again, this program will still be competitive, but it widens the pool of available funds, um, almost quadruples it in some instances, uh, so that states can actually be more incentivized to go after that money. One of the things that um, people were um, I guess states and locals were having concerns over as they were putting a lot of money into trying to get such a small pool of dollars before for pre-disaster mitigation that to them, it wasn't almost worth it. We also have what's known as the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, which comes after a disaster. We make that available to states after they've been impacted. But only specific to that state. Correct. Only specific to that state. And um, so in particular, um, they were... uh, more looking to go after that money or, or when they would get a major disaster declaration, just using that and not seeking the pre-disaster mitigation grant money because it was too cumbersome for a small percentage of dollars that they were going to get from that uh, just because of the sheer nature of funding that was available through that program before. So put it in perspective, um, in 2017, it, the PDM program, the pre-disaster mitigation program, uh, is a annually appropriated money. So whatever Congress tells us is is available for that grant program. In the case of 2017, it was $90 million, which seems like a lot of money. But when you're talking about large pro- large projects in communities that drastically reduce the, the cost of future flooding, there's not a whole lot of projects that can be done there. But now that is based on the amount of money that we're providing to all disasters, like you said, it's, it's a huge amount of money that could be available. Um, Absolutely. And giving people uh, more opportunities for bigger projects. I think that's one of the things is that, um, you know, this allows for more innovation in that space. What can we really, how can we take mitigation to the next level um, and doing it before a disaster strikes? And I think that's the really critical piece of it. So I I think about this in, in terms of 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when this additional money is put into mitigation around the country, I really do see a game changing environment where we are looking at areas of the country that are not necessarily disaster proof, but have significantly reduced the um, the potential disaster impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest um, you know way uh, mitigation is the biggest way that we can prevent you know future disasters from being as impactful as they have been. Uh, you're spending more money on the front end uh, to try and prevent that from happening, but saving more money on the back end. So I think that's where Congress really came and saw the value. Um, the administrator had testified before Congress multiple times um, and talked about this concept, and we had multiple staff level briefings with committees and members trying to um, encourage them that the investment, uh, you're still going to be investing in disasters, but putting the money up front rather than putting it on the back end really makes a world of difference. And I think our mitigation program has even identified that one disaster spent on mitigation or one dollar spent on mitigation can save up to five or six dollars in disaster recovery money spent, which is that's an amazing amount of money. Okay, so the other mitigation program, the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, that's the money that you said uh, is set aside from a state-specific disaster. I think some people would probably be surprised that after a wildfire, uh, unless it's declared as a Stafford Act disaster, um, hazard mitigation isn't available for those types of uh, events. So this legislation changes that. 
Yep. Um, so another grant um, that we offer through FEMA is the Fire Management Assistance Grant. Um, and typically, um, that does not rise to the level of a major disaster. Typically, the purpose of that grant is to ensure that it doesn't ri rise to the level of a major disaster. Um, and so what we um, have found uh, is that uh, after a uh, wildfire, uh, the landscape changes drastically, um, almost in an instant. And uh, one of the things that people deal with after that is severe risk of flooding and other hazards uh, from that wildfire due to the changed landscape uh, of their community. And so uh, one of the things that Congress explored uh, previously and the provision had since sunset and now is, is now is codified in this law but basically what it does is after a wildfire, even if it's just a fire management assistance grant uh, that FEMA provides, hazard mitigation grant funding is available for that state and local community um, to help prevent uh, future disasters like that from happening in the future. When we turn to the individual survivor, uh, one of the programs that FEMA is probably best known for in communities that have gone through um, a, a disaster where FEMA has come in to help uh, the recovery process is the individual assistance grant program. So individual assistance, it does exactly what, what the name sounds sounds like. It provides money in grant form to individuals to help them recover, but really to give them uh, a step forward. It's not to make you whole, but it's in order to get you started on that recovery process. Well, the Disaster uh, Recovery Reform Act makes a couple of changes to that individual assistance program. General observation about those changes, I think one of the biggest things that we've heard, um, you know, from survivors since the time, um, you know, that I've been here with FEMA is that it, uh, these programs are very complex for them to navigate. And I think one of the things that Congress found um, was that their constituents didn't know where to go necessarily. They know that they, they knew that FEMA offered assistance, but they didn't know what other federal programs were there. Um, and so one of the things that Congress looked at was how can we make it uh simpler for people to understand. Um, and so I think this really has a couple of things uh, within the bill to transform the way that we deliver our assistance and that other agencies deliver their assistance. Um, it leaves a lot of discretion for the agency as to how we end up making those changes. Uh, but again, the administrator's stated priority is reducing the complexity of FEMA. So I think one of the things that he's talked about um, is finding a way to pull all of the assistance from all different agencies together and make it a more holistic way, a one, almost a one-stop shop for survivors to come. Whether or not we're going to be able to realize that within the, the near term, uh, not sure, but that's one of the ways um, you know, the Congress at least envisioned as a pilot program for us to even try. And then specifically, uh, one set of disaster survivors, people with disabilities, the law allows for an increased amount of flexibility in the way that we make homes accessible. Absolutely, yeah. So um, one of the things is that if a home um, who... Uh, who had had a, like a wheelchair ramp or another way of um, assisting a, a disability before, if that had been damaged during the disaster, um, that was actually, the repairs to that were actually subtracted out of the max, gr uh, max grant dollars that the individual could receive to repair that home. Um, and so that would lower the cost for other repairs that needed to be made to the home. And so what this does is that excludes, um, you know, that accessibility need from uh, that deduction from the max grant. So essentially um, that would be almost um, I wouldn't say free, but that would be another service that's added on on top of what they're already getting. It frees up more money um, when the cost of making a home accessible becomes more expensive than the cost to just repair the home. Um, it allows more money to help the person move on to a more meaningful recovery. 
Absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it, it allows us not to only um, build back uh, to what it was, but even a little bit better um, if, if, the, if the grant dollars are there. Finally, I think the the biggest uh, piece for, at least for the FEMA employees, is the law provides for a major change in uh, conditions of employment and the types of employment that we have. Can you talk a little bit about those changes? Absolutely. Um, so FEMA has basically um, several categories of employees that support uh, disaster response and recovery work. You have permanent full-time employees, you have um, temporary employees, and then you also have uh, reservists, which are also temporary. Um, and so uh, one of the biggest complaints that we had heard um, is that people that would stay on um, in some of these temporary positions uh, for two-year appointments or four-year appointments, um, depending on the nature of the job, uh, they couldn't gain status uh, to apply for permanent full-time government uh, positions. And uh, so people, we had been losing people that had had extensive experience with the agency and with an emergency management, uh, but couldn't retain them because they couldn't uh, get the benefits that come with the permanent full-time uh, paid government positions. Uh, and so what this does is if um, someone has been uh, working in one of these temporary positions uh, for a period of three consecutive years, um, they gain status to be able to apply for a full, um, full-time full paid government position, uh, which really allows the agency to retain talent. Uh, one of the things I think that people are most frustrated with in the field and what we hear oftentimes is that the uh, turnover rate of employees, um, whether it be in the field or people liaisoning with outside groups here at um, FEMA headquarters, um, is that there's just no consistency. And I think this helps us retain, train, um, and really grow our workforce in a way that we hadn't been able to before. So as we look to uh, continuing the, our efforts towards the strategic plan and readying the nation for catastrophic events and um, creating a culture of preparedness and reducing the complexities of, of FEMA, uh, I think this legislation makes some, a meaningful impact on that. I do too. I think what it really uh, points to though also is the shared responsibility of disaster response and recovery. It really is the whole community that has to come to the table in order to make it successful. Um, it brings in parts. Uh, it Obviously the federal government has a big piece in the state that's been impacted or the locality that's been impacted, tribes, territories, but also uh, the private sector is a huge piece of that. Individuals preparing for disasters is a huge piece of that. Um, but it really uh, I think will allow us to continue to improve the way we deliver assistance before, during, and after disasters. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a future topic, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you would like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast. Mm-hmm.